0: Welcome to Dream Declared Deliver with your host, Chris Garrell. Join us each week as we explore how to live a life by design by applying the tools and techniques of emotional intelligence and personal transformation. Here's Chris. Hello and welcome back to Dream Declare Deliver. I'm Chris Grell, your host and author of Typhoon Honey and Learning to Feel. I have the great pleasure today of being with one of my very best friends, Linda Manning, who is a transformational coach, um, and healer, um, along with a lot of other things. Um, I just, um, I really appreciate her energy and her knowledge and background. Um, and um, I, we're just going to be talking a little bit about how emotions play into our health and, um, and into our healing uh, and, and things like that. So before we start, Linda, please introduce yourself if there's anything else that you would like to say.
1: I'm just glad to be here, Chris. I look forward to our conversation. Chris and I see each other on Zoom quite often,
0: <laughs> um, but
1: but this, but this is a real treat to have a longer period of time to talk. Right And on, on one of my favorite
0: topics. So let's let's just start in with that. Um, how how in your opinion, how do you see the relationship between emotional intelligence, um, emotional awareness, um, and healing and health? Um, what What do you see the connections being?
1: Oh gosh, there's so many. I mean, one of the things is that when we suppress emotions, and that's really common, Mm -hmm. um people especially there's certain emotions people have judgments around for themselves maybe they want to be seen as nice and since they want to be seen as nice they suppress anger or um maybe they're really angry a lot of the time and they actually want to suppress their soft side like who knows it's different for different people but suppressed Mm -hmm. emotions actually impact our bodies
0: it's, sure. like, we, it's yeah. like
1: we stuff them down, and by stuffing them down, you may you may feel it. In fact, very often when I'm working with people and they start talking about something, I'll say, where in your body do you feel that? Yeah, yeah. And they have these aha moments because they're like, I didn't realize it was in my stomach. Oh, my God. Mm. Or my lower back or, uh, you know, different places. So our health is, I believe, very directly impacted by either our ability to allow our emotions and allow them to flow freely, or when we suppress our emotions, it can have a negative impact.
0: That's so interesting because I was just in a weekend um, retreat and, and we were doing a lot of body movement. Um, The uh, facilitator who was there was saying, you know, when you move your body, you move your mind, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and in doing some of these movements, there were, there were A couple of times when people just, you know, had this overwhelming, you know, like uh, uh, venting of emotions, they started crying or sobbing or, um, you know, needed to yell or scream or something like that because something was coming up for them that they weren't really conscious of holding in their body until they started moving their body. And and so I think you're, you're so right that we do hold these things when we suppress them, we hold them, you know, in our bodies. Um, and, and, and so it's important for us to have access to what's there through our, you know, through our emotional awareness.
1: Absolutely. Um, and it, you know, there's, there's being aware, which is absolutely a critical step,
0: even mm-hmm. knowing
1: what your feelings are, uh, but there's also accepting.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's so, so true.
1: You know, cause we can become aware, oh, I'm upset, but I don't want to be.
0: -hmm. Instead
1: of oh, I'm upset. What do I need?
0: Like, like, like what's it saying to me?
1: Yes. Yeah. What's what's that upset talking about? Yeah. What's the message for me? Mm -hmm. Like, sometimes it's really good to be upset because upset means there's the I am is saying I'm not okay with this. Right. And and that's that can, can be really important. So it's not that we want to get rid of the upset, but we want to understand it, and that starts with accepting.
0: Yeah, I I call it embracing it. You're really, you know, like holding it, you know, that this is something that is me as part of, as part of my being talking to me. You know, it's always funny to, to have this type of a conversation because it feels schizophrenic to to say i and me in the same sentence but that is the way it occurs you know there's there's the beholder the the i that sees myself and then there's the myself that i am experiencing or the emotions that i'm experiencing and so you know it, it's it's kind of important for us to get in in touch with who is the who's the seer who who is that yes. watcher and and that way i can observe and embrace and accept my feelings because it's in, it's in me, it's in myself, you know, and I can look at it and, um, and ask it, what's it, it, it trying to tell me what, what are these feelings, you know, mean to me and, and what's the, what's the meaning I'm taking that's causing them, you know, cause right. I, I also find that there's, there's a lot of, we're not aware of often, but there's a thought behind every emotion, right? Right before the emotion, and and so getting to be familiar with embracing or or you know accepting our emotions allows us then to look at well, what was the thought? That's right.
1: I've I've done a lot of uh like Byron Katie work, for example. I'm a big mm-hmm.
0: fan. Of her. Yeah. And
1: that's all about investigating your thoughts because your thoughts lead to your feelings. Hmm. And so if you're having feelings that aren't working for you, you're distraught, you're anxious, you're whatever, it is so helpful to step back and say, wait, what am I thinking? And is that even true? Most Mm -hmm. of our thoughts actually aren't true. They just happen by rote or not even conscious. Mm -hmm. In fact, neuroscience, I don't know if you want to go down the neuroscience path, I just find it fascinating, Yeah, has shown that when you think a thought over and over, the The gap in your brain, the synaptic gap, gets smaller. So mm-hmm. the more you think something, our brains are actually very plastic, very malleable. Mm-hmm. They yeah. They're not steady state. And so if we think something over and over, and the synaptic gap, this little area that the electric impulses have to jump over, gets smaller. That right. means that you're gonna you're even more likely to think that in the future.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Without it becomes even
1: having to do anything. It's like blazing
0: a trail down through the woods. You know, you're going to follow those blazes every time. And, and, you know, it, it is easy to recognize some of these, you know, that they're, they're the conversations that come up when, you know, like you're explaining to your friend, Oh, I did this and this and this. And then, you know, you have to tell that story, you know, you yeah. always have to tell that story. And that's one of those, those synaptic paths, you know, that, you know, we've told so many times that we can't, We can't not tell it, you know, it's Mm. almost part of who uh, of our identity. And and even though it may even be um, non sequitur, you know, not really relevant to the to the current conversation, we're at that juncture point where that normal left turn or right turn or whatever it is in the in the synaptic path fires off and we find ourselves having to tell that. Um so so and,
1: com- and sometimes it's just super simple it it can be just that automatic like ah, I'm such an idiot
0: right <laughs> mm. if you, you,
1: you make a wrong turn, you're like, Oh, I'm such an idiot,' and you might not even realize how often you yeah. say that to yourself, mm. but every time you say that, you're sort of creating this pattern, so then that becomes your fallback,
0: Ooh, yeah, without so
1: you even realizing it,
0: yeah. I, I have a friend I need to remember, you know, remind uh, of that truth that, you know, that those old self beat up patterns, um, yeah. you know, that keep being repeated and repeated, you know, then become the default mode um, exactly. and, and produce that that constant cycle of self beat up and and uh, negative emotions and really being down on yourself.
1: Well, and what it does is it creates the experience of truth with a capital T. I like to mm. look at truth as like a big T or a little too. T, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. And so, so truth with a capital T is it is true that I'm an idiot. That is a fact. Instead of it, actually, it's not true. Mm-hmm. Like maybe we're all idiots at some point, but the, the, the real truth is we're much more complicated than that. Yeah. And, you know, maybe you were distracted in that moment. Maybe something else was going on. But when we take these beliefs as the real, as the big T truth, Mm. that is when it's very hard to actually release them because there's an attachment. It's like, no, it's, this is the truth of me.
0: Mm -hmm. Instead
1: of, is this the truth of me?
0: Right. That's, that's brilliant. Yeah. So how do you, how do you coach people on, elevating that to a level of awareness so that they can do something about it.
1: So there's a lot of different techniques that I use, but certainly one of them, probably one of the main ones is with questions, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like, huh, you know, how long have you been thinking that? Or can you think back to the first time? So sometimes I use questions like that to have them think about their Mm -hmm. childhood. It's very Mm -hmm. often that's when those thoughts get embedded. And then yeah. I might do some, some journeying even where they get to talk to their young self. And my experience is that mostly what people want is love. <laughs> they want love and kindness. And when we can create that for ourselves, like, like I'm an idiot is not a kind thing. No. And most people the way they talk to themselves if someone else ever talked to that, them that way they'd be like, "Oh my god, that's an outrage." Yeah.
0: That's I always say I often say that to to a, a friend. I'll say, "You know, stop talking about my friend like that." You know? <laughs> yeah. "How dare you talk about my friend like that?" You know, and and really it, it, as a way of interrupting that pattern yeah. uh because it's a bad it's just a bad habit. Uh, yeah. To, to, that's that's to great. I love that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> So, so that's it, you know, like, and just even the awareness in mm-hmm. that moment of like, Oh, was I really being that mean to myself? And then we practice too. Like, what, what does that part of you need? Does that part mm-hmm. of you need a hug? Does that part of you need understanding? Like, what does it actually need? And then we try and give it that, that, that part of you that's being mm-hmm. hard on yourself, like yeah. giving it those moments of love or kindness
0: and you know it i often find some that you know that is the mechanism that the person learned it's kind of a, a maladaptive learning but they've learned that when they say i'm such an idiot or i'm a i'm a dope or anything their friends chime in with oh no you're not you're a wonderful person and so they get this reinforcement to say it again, because every time they say something self-deprecating like that, their friends come to their rescue and say nice things about them. And, you know, we, we can do well by, you know, taking that middle section out and just saying nice stuff to ourselves, right. you know. Right. I'm not an idiot. I'm actually a wonderful human being.
1: Or, or sometimes it's the opposite, which is it's a preemptive strike. So I'm afraid that, you know, in my family, they often called me an idiot, so I'd rather e- say it myself. Right? So it can go either way.
0: Oh, yeah. I, either yeah. as
1: a, to get the opposite, or it can be, I'm going to prevent someone else saying it by saying it to myself first.
0: Right, right.
1: You know, but either way, it leaves you feeling more empty unless, you know, your your real needs aren't being met.
0: right. Yeah. And, and so that speaks into what is the need that, you know, what, what's going on there when we are able to embrace, um, or allow our emotions, we can now have a conversation with that self, you know, with that part of us that's, that's in the emotion and say, so what is, like you said, what is it that you really need? What is it that I want? What am I trying to get here? Um, You know in terms of my i think you know what our our fundamental need is to be loved and and if we've learned these things from childhood you know because as kids we just we we made up interpretations of stuff especially we're smart kids you know like we're trying to figure out the world so you know we came to these assumptions that were never challenged, you know, and again, and so they got put in place and then practiced and practiced and practiced until they're like pretty solidly in place. And, you know, we have to go all the way back there to undo that, you know, and it just was the interpretation of a little kid.
1: You know, we are by our nature, storytellers, human Mm. beings are storytelling creatures and we love it we we love a story, and we don't like it when the story is is only half. So we'll fill it in,
0: <laughs> right? Really? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> you know, so when we only understand part of the story, oh, mommy left daddy. Okay, it must be because of me, right? We don't we we only get half the story, so we fill it in. We fill in the rest, wildly right? Wildly correctly. yeah. yeah. Um and then we look for more evidence. That's the other thing is that we, we're evidence seekers. Mm-hmm. So we will look for evidence of our belief and discard evidence that's not that's not that.
0: Right. Uh, how's you know? gonna, how, how true that is, that we you know, we just keep building up the evidence um to the point where it's it not only is self- affirming and self, you know, it, it, it is reinforcing, but it it disallows seeing anything else because we have this massive pile of evidence and well, that can't be right because it's not this, you know?
1: Right. Like, like my eldest child is really smart. There's no question about it, but, um, whenever they um, are told that they're smart, their first thought is, Oh, they're going to expect too much of me and I'll disappoint them. Mm. So they have this like visceral reaction whenever they're told they're smart. It's very confusing as a parent. I can tell you to know what to do off the die because you're like, I can't tell them they're smart, even though they are. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, and then they look for that evidence of um, of how they'll screw up. And of course, we all screw up sometimes. So that evidence is going to be there. But then every time they do a good job, they ignore that evidence because it doesn't fit in with the paradigm of who they are.
0: Yeah, so true. It's kind of like I remember when I was a kid. Um, we, uh, we, I was learning how to ride a bike, and, and me and my friends, and my friends and I um, were on this hill, and the hill was, you know, kind of a, an easy slope, not bad. But down at the bottom of the hill, it took a right turn, and at the corner there was an oak tree. So the other boys were saying, "Don't hit the oak tree; just steer away <laughs> from the oak tree." <laughs> Guess what? Damn. <laughs> Bent the rim of the tire and everything, because I, I just, you know, steering and trying not to steer into the, you know, to the oak tree, my momentum, my energy and everything was going straight at that tree. So it's sort of the same way when we, when, when we have these self beliefs. You know that uh, you know I'm not really a smart person, or I you know I do stupid things all the time. I keep tripping my over my own shoelaces and things like that. You know to tell people not to think of those, right? Actually reinforces it. You know it actually you know like don't think of an elephant right now, or right? Or, you, exactly. know,
1: right? you know what, what you're saying though, it made me think of something else, which is. I very often ask people what they want. You know, what's your vision, or what do you want? Mm-hmm. And I would say ninety-five percent of the time, people tell me what they don't want.
0: Right? Isn't you know, that well, true? I
1: don't. Yes, it's yeah. and, and it's really fascinating because, like you said about hitting the tree, if you focus your in, your vision, your intention, your energy, on what you don't want, guess what? You're going to get it.
0: You get that all the time. Yeah. Right?
1: And so it's really interesting. It's actually really hard for a lot of people to name what they do want and to focus there. Mm-hmm. They're, they're constantly mm-hmm. distracted by, you might get distracted by what currently is that's not what you want. Mm-hmm. Like, So let's say I want to have a lot of money, but my bank account's not so big. So I'm putting all my energy focusing on how I don't have enough money. And guess what? My money doesn't grow.
0: Right, right. You know, so there's... It's, it's
1: hard. It's hard to focus on what yeah. we do want somehow.
0: Yeah, if I can geek out for a second on, on psychology, um, there's a a part of the primitive brain, the the inner brain, which nicknamed the, the reptilian brain, but it's yeah. called the reticular activating system, and it's the it's the thing that separates foreground from background, because there are so many zillions of things bombarding your brain. Your brain is processing yeah. everything that's going on, all of the body systems, your autonomic, you know, nervous system, your breathing, your heart rate, all those kinds of things, plus all the stuff stimulate from outside, it has to have some kind of switching device in there. that says, that's not important. This is important. That's not important. And it really evolutionarily came from survival. You know, what's going to eat me and what's not going to eat me? What can I eat? (laughs) You know, and, and when we are saying these things, you know, like I don't have money in my bank account, you're switching that RAS to focus on not having enough money. Right, But when we say, I live in abundance, and the world and the universe are abundant, and they always have what I need, the RAS switches over there. So it's not a matter that our thoughts manifest something else. It's really a matter of everything's there all the time, and we just haven't seen it because we're focused on what we think is the reality. We just right. need to change our focus, shift that, that little internal um, system in our brain that's just a very primitive, it doesn't have much smarts to it. It's just very primitive survival, you know? And so all we're doing is we're shifting focus of the RAS to something that says, um, you know, money is everywhere. Money is abundant, you know? I have, I have a, a couple that's a friend of, uh, of ours. Um, one of them's a masterful salesman. The other one's a financial planner fans of I mean she used to be CFO of a major bank and I mean she's really a money genius um and her husband um is really good at sales and everything but he has a belief that if if I or anybody dropped money on the ground I'd pick it up so his belief is there isn't money laying about Belinda his his wife knows that money is abundant and is everywhere and so when they were dating he noticed that every time they went out she would bend over pick up you know Quarter here, a dollar bill, one time a $20 bill. And he says, you got to understand, if I lost the $20 bill, I'd go back and retrace my steps until I found it, you know? Like, so his assumption is it's not there. Her assumption yeah. is money is everywhere. So she sees it everywhere. That's just right. the RES, you know, the focus, right. that switcher thing. So, you know, we've talked a little bit about how a lot of these things come from our youth. Um, As we mature, how do we mature that emotional awareness then? What helps us grow that up? Um, You
1: know, one of the things, it's funny, I was um, thinking, I just had a coaching session with someone earlier this week, and he was talking about um, some of the things that frustrate him. And I said, why don't you let yourself have a tantrum? Like, just go to the bed. (laughs) I'm so frustrated with this. And then you can go back and do your work. So when you talk about mature I'm like hmm is that mature or not maybe but I actually feel like it is because it's about intentionality it's mm-hmm. like it's identifying the awareness oh I'm getting really frustrated mm-hmm. and then it's taking an action to release it he didn't he doesn't have to do a tantrum he could do something else but it right. is it's it's committing to yourself to take an action to change your emotional state
0: What's actually even saying, giving yourself permission, you know, like, I know this is a very childish thought. I'm just going to be act childish about it. And it'll be done with, you know, I kind of get that done with. Now I can think rationally about it, Right. you know,
1: And but it's, it's also, it's so much from self acceptance
0: that mm-hmm.
1: I'm going, oh, I can't believe I'm having this thought. It's like, oh yeah, there's that thought of like, I don't want to do it. I just want to pout in the corner. So let me just like exaggerate, right? Like really pout in the corner. Let me pout on it. <laughs> right. and, uh, Okay, now I can right. go on.
0: Right. So I and think it's-
1: sometimes it's that self-acceptance
0: mm-hmm. of
1: all aspects of our emotions and some of the ones that are the hardest for people to accept are around shame.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: You know, and when someone feels ashamed of something, how do they how do they act? And when we can accept the thing that we're ashamed of. I'm, I'm working with someone now who's not making he grew up extremely poor. And so he had this idea in his mind of how much money he would make and he's making money. He's not extremely poor, but it's not where he wants it to be. Mm-hmm. And he has mm-hmm. shame around that. And it's like that very shame is preventing him from having real conversations yes. with his wife about it of looking for new jobs of like freeing himself so that he can look for, for new possibilities.
0: Right right i think brene brown says that that shame is perhaps the most violent thing that we can do to ourselves mm-hmm. you know it really classifies it as a violent thing you know that yeah. we it it's so painful um that that um it, it lives in this cluster i forget which cluster of emotions she has them all clustered together in the in the, right. her, her book the atlas of the heart but but you know it it's one of those really hard ones to deal with because it beats us so badly you know
1: right well and shame often um, makes us not want to talk about something Mm -hmm. and it's Mm -hmm. often through talking about it whether it's with your friends or a coach or healer or whatever but somebody who can normalize it yeah that you're like oh okay that thing that i was so ashamed about like it's just a thing Right And, and I, you know, I don't have to walk around being ashamed of that. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's one example, but whether it's, you know, your sexual relationships with, with people, whether it's your, you know, how you feel about something, there's so mm-hmm. many ways that we really judge ourselves harshly. Right. And so I think part of maturing emotionally is with self-acceptance and self-love right.
0: Right. And that plays into, again, something that Dr. Brown says is that, you know, guilt and shame are not the same emotion. Guilt is I did something bad. I did something that I didn't want to do. Shame right. is I am bad. Right. You know, and so is the self-acceptance plays into healing that shame, you know, that I'm not bad. You know, I did something that I don't like and I don't, I'm not very proud of. And I can, I can fix that. I can do something to make amends around that, but it doesn't make me a bad person. Fundamentally, I am, I am a well human being. I'm a child of God. However you want to see yourself in, in a positive light, you know, that's who I am. I am not what I do. Right. And and yeah. so distinguishing that that shame as the, you know, I am bad as opposed to I did something bad um, is is, I think, an important first step in the process of healing and embracing ourselves um, as we mature into our adulthood.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely agree. But I think guilt is another great one to look at. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, absolutely. Right. right.
1: Because, because guilt. Could be I did something bad or it could be I think I did something bad, right? They're not always the yeah. same. And right. so sometimes someone feels guilty. I mean, I work with moms a lot and I'm a mom and moms are like professionals at guilt, right? It's <laughs> like, it's right. like part of the job description. And so, you know, we think about like, Oh, I should have paid more attention or less attention or I shouldn't mm-hmm. have said like the, the shoulds around motherhood are like very extensive. Mm-hmm and they're often contradictory so no matter where you go there's there's a good chance you feel guilty right um and so but instead go you know when you can get to this place of like you know I don't know I don't know what the right thing is to do and that's okay yeah and i'm going to try something and see what happens and and like lighten up with the shoulds into experimentation into let's yeah. see
0: yeah. And it ports back to, you know, understanding that everything is an interpretation. You know, mm-hmm. I often say to clients, um, you don't see with your eyes, you don't hear with your ears, you don't smell with your nose, you don't feel with your fingers. Your brain does that. All those other things are just neural receptors that are then processed by our brain. And our brain is, you know, closed off to the outside. It just is you know, basing everything, you know, all those assumptions based on what its experience, you know, recorded experience is that it has in its, you know, so kind of like data file, you know. Yeah. So the brain, the brain learns by association, this is like that. And when we encounter some new situation, you know, the first thing we try to do is say what it's similar to in our experience. We may not say that out loud, but that's what's going on inside of our meaning-making system. So when we do something that we don't like, you know, do something that's, you know, we would call wrong or something like that, the interpretation comes not from some moral standard out there. It comes from our own self-evaluation, you know, that's not what I want to do. And the thing that's important to remember I, I I tell people the thing that is important to remember is you would not know of that as wrong unless you already knew what you believed in as right. So you can't judge yourself as bad if you don't know what right is and therefore it must live inside you. You know, it's already yeah. there, you know, let's just start embracing that goodness in you instead of constantly beating yourself over the head with some judgment about, well, this wasn't quite exactly the way good is supposed to be or the way I wanted to be and and so on. And so we, you know, we end up making a judgment about that, that feeds into that whole self concept again uh, about who I am and what I am. I'm such a terrible person and stuff.
1: Yeah. You know, another thing I've been thinking about a lot lately, too, is around um, sort of the, is your cup full or is your cup empty? Hmm. And I don't mean the half full, half empty. I mean, when people are getting enough sleep, when they're getting nutritious food, when they have had some quiet time to themselves or social time, whatever they need, then it's so much easier to actually be more observant instead of caught in the emotions.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Some of
1: these concepts that we're talking about require a level of maturity, but they also require a level of um, like having your basic needs met.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: And, and when we're hungry or we're tired or we haven't had two minutes to ourselves or we're over giving any of those kinds of things, then when we try to look at our emotions more objectively, it's just really hard. Yeah, and it's, so I think self care is also a part of maturity.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When we deserve, when we realize that we deserve self care, when we give it to ourselves, right, right. when we give ourselves that that five minutes of quiet instead of feeling we we need to take care of somebody else right away,
0: mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. are those
1: little building blocks.
0: You I'm glad you said. I'm glad you said five minutes of instead of like a two-hour session or something like that. It you know these things that you know that are self-care things, food uh, and nutrition, um, sleep and things like that are all easy to administer at you know, and often just small amounts do wonders for us. Um, I don't have to have a big long nap. I can I can crash out for five minutes and be refreshed. Um, if I, you know, if I you know, take away all the noise and all of the, you know, the interfering pieces and just allow myself to sink into relaxed uh, rest. And that's so refreshing. It resets the button right away. So it, it's not. You know, we we often mistake, I think, self-care for, you know, spa days and, you know, going for a long hike in the woods or, you know, and yes, those are wonderful things. I don't want anything wrong with them at all. Do it, do it. But, you know, sometimes self-care is as simple as, you know, the healthy choice for an apple instead of a candy bar. You that's know, right. That's and, right. Just, very you know, simple. giving yourself you know the right nutrition, you know, both of them have a kind of sugar in them for an energy lift, but one is much more bioavailable, you know, in in fructose than than, than the the pure cane sugar that's in the the candy bar. So, it, you know, it's knowing those kinds of things and knowing how to keep yourself in the care for yourself and and stuff like that. Um, I promised you that we would keep it to about 30 minutes and we're, we're up at that time zone. Uh, I, I would love to continue, you know, our conversation because, you know, we're obviously in the same channel and, and, um, really see, uh, a lot of things the same way, but, um, you know, any last thoughts on emotional maturity and how we're able to, uh, really heal ourselves by being far more aware Anything you would like to add? Um,
1: I mean, honestly, I think we've covered a lot of it, but, you know, no matter what is going on in your day, if you can pause and just give yourself a breath of kindness, like if I were an amazing, valuable person, which, by the way, you are like, (laughs) like, oh, how would I treat myself? How could I just bring some, breathe some love into my heart and or, you know, be in that place of gratitude? how do i just look around and find something to be grateful for because those are all things that shift us on the on the emotional scale right and any shift up on the emotional scale helps helps rebalance us from some of the more mm-hmm. negative so we yeah. want to rebalance that with some of the
0: positive right absolutely Thank you so much, Linda. I know you're busy. I know you're between two engagements here. <laughs> and, you know, thank you for coming to us from your car. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I, I just love how we were able to fit this in. So, uh, again, have a wonderful day. Um, and and um, that's it for this session. Uh, come back again to Dream, Declare, Deliver. And we'll talk about some more things around emotional intelligence.